Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Looking at data and where markets stand right now, it appears we're in a risk-on situation. We're going to talk about how to trade it and also do a quick recap on our million-dollar Bitcoin forecast. I'm Andy Gersher, and this is GAINS. All right, let's bring on Bill Uliveri, owner of Senecal Capital Management in Glenview, and check out his website, SenecalCapital.com. That's C-E-N-A-C-L-E capital.com. Bill, always great to have you on the Gaines podcast. Andy, love to be here with you. It's the best. We'll get into stocks, markets, get your take on things. But one of the areas and that I wanted to start the podcast today off with is crypto. Uh, a while back, you and I made that call for million-dollar Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin at the time was about 17000 per token. We saw it take off from there, almost nearly double. It's pulled back a little bit as of late to 25800 per token, which I actually am glad because I wanted to see a bit of a pullback, you know, because as I've been saying for a long time now, I believe in crypto, Bitcoin long term. Uh, my play is dollar cost average into Bitcoin, Ethereum, and then I dollar cost average in some of those altcoins as well. But the real focus is Bitcoin. You and I, you know, if you, if you haven't heard that podcast, go back. It's been six to eight months now where we, we made the million-dollar Bitcoin forecast right near the bottoms. And like I said, it's, it took off from there. But, uh, yeah, sitting at about 25000 right now. Uh, 26,000 a token. Uh, where are you at with crypto? Your thoughts on, on where we've been since we made that call, uh, took off from there, and now we've had a, a, a recent pullback as of late. Well, you know, Andy, I'm still as bullish as you are with cryptocurrency, especially Bitcoin. I mean, there's just, I, I can't imagine anything that's going to diminish my enthusiasm for this technology and for it as a potentially a global currency and a store of value. I mean, we've, we've, we've beaten this horse to death in terms of all the things that we find attractive about it. Now, at the same time, we have to be honest with ourselves, and that is Bitcoin's a little bit behind the game in terms of where it was expected and forecasted to be with its stock-to-flow ratio. And, you know, Bitcoin at 25.8 to 26.10, maybe the high this year, you know, in the 31, 32,000 area. This thing needs to 
start taking off really soon because the happening cycle is coming up pretty soon. I'm going to have to check the exact date for that. And explain that real quick. Uh, Sorry to cut you off, but that was an important um, thing to all of this. And uh, just explain that real quick before we move on here. Just like a game of Monopoly, every time you pass go, you collect $200. And in the world of Bitcoin, the Bitcoin miners are responsible for providing the security for the Bitcoin network. And in exchange for that, as a reward for contributing computing power and electricity and Internet and securing the Bitcoin network, they receive Bitcoin as a reward. And the Bitcoin reward comes out roughly every 10 minutes on average with Bitcoin. And in 2024, April 16th, 2024, the reward to miners uh, every 10 minutes is going to be reduced from 6.2 Bitcoin, which is what it is currently, to 3.125, three and an eighth. And so what does this mean? It means is if, if you treat Bitcoin like you do Corn, wheat, soybeans, pork bellies, sugar, nickel, gold, silver. If the annual supply gets cut in half, you can pretty much assume that the price will double, assuming that you know demand stays the same. If supply gets cut in half, prices should double. And that's where we're at with Bitcoin, is that we're seeing the annual and daily production of Bitcoin being reduced by 50% uh, on April 16th, 2024. Which will be a very big deal. And, 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 and explain how that works into your pricing model. Well, in the pricing model is there is a, uh, a forecasting model called the Bitcoin stock to flow ratio. And what that does is there was a, um, a, a person, a gentleman, an economist, who tried to figure out a way of determining how do you price Bitcoin? How, like, what, is, what are its attributes? How do you look at it? And in the world of commodities, you look at carryover, inventory, the number of uh, acres planted, say in the case of corn, soybeans, and grains. You look at the annual, the, the acreage that's being reported to the um, government agencies that receive, you know, the FDA and the, you know, farm bureaus, et cetera, that, that keep track of that data. So the question is, how can you shoehorn Bitcoin into a commodity like gold, silver, and grains? So again, if Bitcoin is a commodity, which is treated that way by the CFTC, then there has to be some way of figuring out, based on its annual supply and demand and its creation, like its planting, its mining, what kind of price target there is. And it's followed a very, very interesting and predictable path since 2009 when Bitcoin first came out you know, in the marketplace. So if you follow the trend line going back to 2009, we should be over $100,000 per token right now. And the truth is that we're not. We're far from it. And so all eyes are watching as we approach the um, April 2024 deadline. When you're figuring this out, factoring this in, uh, explain why it's important in this ratio. Explain what your, you know, your line of thinking there. When you're following Bitcoin, like most moving averages, Andy, like a set of Bollinger Bands if you're a trader, or sometimes the 50-day over the 200-day moving average that you're looking at, you know, maybe 50-day above the 200 is bullish, 50-day moving average below the 200-day is bearish. The same thing follows with Bitcoin. When it's trading way over, way above its Bitcoin uh, uh, rewards, you know, stock-to-flow ratio, 
you might want to be a seller of Bitcoin because its price has gotten a little bit ahead of its fundamental forecasting value. The same way on the downside. If Bitcoin is trading way under its stock-to-flow ratio, way under its, um, call it its inventory or its, you know, production value, its its fundamental value, so to speak, then you want to be a buyer of that. And right now, Bitcoin is still about probably 45 to 50 percent, uh, more than that. It's actually in the 60 percent area of its below its stock-to-flow ratio. This usually means that. The largest run for Bitcoin is clearly ahead of us. Um, not it's it's not behind us. So you know we, we still have a way to go, but I'm again very optimistic uh, for the price for the price action of Bitcoin based on its stock to flow ratio. Where do you see things going? I mean, how's this all play out then? So, so what moves Bitcoin? Okay, if we treat Bitcoin as risk on, if we treat Bitcoin as the QQQ, if we treat Bitcoin as gold or silver or, or an asset that's risk on, then we have to assume that while the NASDAQ was up 47% this year, Bitcoin was up r- roughly 75%. I think year to date, I'll go back and check that number. But we're looking at Bitcoin as risk on, and it's important because in addition to its fundamental, um, just like corn, wheat, and soybeans, in in addition to its fundamental structure of plain old supply and demand based on the mining algorithm that we just discussed, right, the number of rewards per day, we also have to look at other economic factors like the U.S. dollar and interest rates and what makes risk go anywhere, right? What makes the risk on assets, whether the S&P 500, Russell 2000, NASDAQ, QQQ, all these things play into it, Andy. I'm not going to say that I completely have my arms wrapped around Bitcoin in terms of every single uh, economic forecast or every single influence that, that moves its price. Ultimately, as you know, it's about supply and demand. It's emotion. It's behavior. And you and I are both seeing some positive things in the market, whether it's the Dow theory um, predictions of the of a bull market, whether it's the U.S. dollar declining around 14 to 15 percent from its high, making assets more risk on. If we're at the end of an interest rate cycle, that's very positive for Bitcoin because lower rates mean economic expansion. And you and I have talked about this multiple times, Andy. There are four parts to every economic cycle. There's the expansion the peak, the contraction, and then the troughing, right? Well, we saw the peak in the market in 2022, late 2021. We certainly saw the contraction in the market in all of 2022 and part of 2023 in the first quarter where the market was down 27%, I think in the case of the S&P 500 and probably in the 32-ish percentage area of the NASDAQ. Certainly all the tech stocks like Amazon, Facebook, um, uh, Microsoft, NVIDIA got absolutely hammered in that time period. But what's also happened in 2023 is that we've had an incredible rally, incredible rally in these same stocks. Nvidia was up peak to trough 290 uh, percent. So we, we had a, a great rally in some of the larger cap names like Microsoft and, and Amazon, as I had mentioned to you, Meta slash Facebook. So it all means it all, these are all little milestones. These are all little signs that are pointing into the direction of that if we're in troughing, then the next phase is expansion. And I think that we're almost there. Andy, what do you think? I'm actually right there with you, Bill. And I'm going to tell you my thoughts when we get back after a quick break. But, hey, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. 
If that's an option for you, I've been told that's podcast gold. Totally appreciate the solid there. And as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gaines episode drops. We drop Gaines episodes on Wednesday mornings. We'll be right back after the break. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, back with Bill Uliveri, owner of Senecal Capital Management in Glenview. And again, check out his website, SenecalCapital.com. That's C E N. ACLEcapital.com. All right, so as we were going to break, Bill asked me how I felt about things. And yes, I'm right in line with you, Bill. You know, continuing to do the dollar cost averaging in the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and some of the other degenerate coins, I like to call them. Um, and, and then switching over to stocks, you know, I like a bit of a pullback here. Uh, gives me an opportunity to buy on dips. And, uh, you know, as, as we've talked about before and as the Gaines listeners know, big believer in the Dow theory, it's bullish right now. Um, so, again, buying, uh, buying the dips in what I see an overall bullish market. You know, and right now I'm cherry picking, uh, you know, on the stocks. Uh, I'm cherry picking some of uh, the names that have been on my shopping list for a while. Uh, some of the recent, I'll just give you a couple uh, things that, you know, in the stock front, I like Visa right now, ticker V. Uh, Schlumberger, uh, buying that right now. SLB is the ticker on that. Another thing, this kind of is another asset class. You know, we talked crypto. I also am very bullish on gold right now. Uh, I use the Spider Gold Trust to get exposure to gold, and the ticker on that is GLD. So again, loving crypto long term here, and and it's th- that trade since we talked uh, at the bottom has done quite well, and it's nice to be able to get a little more bang for your buck as I'm dollar cost averaging now, maybe even deploying a little bit more on on the the pullbacks, and like I said, just buying some stocks that I've liked, companies I believe in. Um, playing the gold trade a little bit, and um, that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, as far as sto- you know, moving over to stocks for you, Bill, what are you seeing? I, I we, we had talked uh, about a couple days ago, uh, end of last week, you had an interesting uh, trade. Why don't you start there, and then we can talk about some other aspects of the market. So the, so the two big themes, Andy, that we have, uh, the trades that we have placed, the allocations we're managing for our own clients is that something really interesting happened in 2020 during COVID, and that is the emerging markets as a asset class, their their gross domestic product, their GDP, for the first time in history, has eclipsed that of the G7 nations. In other words, the G7 being the United States, UK, Canada, France, you know the. I would call it the very old school European countries. All right, their gross, their contribution to the gross domestic product is now lower than emerging markets for the first time in history. At least, pretty remarkable. Pretty remarkable when you think about it. 
And so the question is, you know, what type of what type of things would you consider emerging markets? Emerging markets are, um, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a great way of diversifying out of um, out of U.S. companies. It is companies that are in in small quantities. It could be South Africa, all of Af- Africa, Philippines, Brazil, Chile, Greece, Turkey, Hungary. Um, there's just so many of these little countries that we don't really, frankly, pay that much attention to that I think is interesting. And we've placed, uh, we've made a majority shift out of the S&P 500 into emerging markets for our own uh, rollover IRA and 401k clients. So that's one of the big things that we've done. So you're doing EEM on on that to get exposure? Yes, we're doing EEM and we're doing EFA. Those are our two big um, holdings between domestic and uh, emerging markets. And again, emerging markets are, believe it or not, Japan is considered an emerging market, which blew me away. But Japan, um, uh, the Netherlands, Hong Kong, Italy, Singapore, uh, Norway, South Africa, Poland, Israel, Ireland, Finland, like all these small countries are, I think, going to do better than the United States. I'm, I'm kind of worried, Andy, that we might be hitting that lost decade like we experienced from 1998 to 2008. And it's still too soon to tell, but we like, I like uh, emerging markets. And another thing I like that I told you about on the telephone was preferred shares, preferred company stocks. Now, a preferred company is like when you think of a company, uh, think of it as like a big pie made up of all these small pieces that we would call shares, right? You own shares in a company. Now, when you own uh, pieces of that pie, you typically own, you are a common shareholder. But there's other kind of shares inside this pie, and they're called preferred shares. And the preferred shares are a little bit different because it comes with some extra benefits uh, and also a few things that I would say a little bit of a downside, like a catch. So one of the benefits is that you get a regular dividend, and it's usually a very good dividend, you know, a, a monthly or quarterly paycheck in the form of a dividend. And you also get um, first in line in terms if there is a corporate action, if a company goes bankrupt or they have to dissolve the company for some reason. People who are preferred shareholders, you not only do you get your dividend first before the common shareholders, you also receive part of the distribution in the funds if it goes bankrupt. So you're like first in line in front of the common shareholders, but you're behind the bondholders. So it's not perfect, but it's kind of like a middle. It's kind of like between a bond and a stock. Uh, That's the way I like to look at preferred shares. Part bond because of the high dividend payment and part stock insofar as that it goes up in value, you know, when the market rallies. But the thing is this. They don't do well in a rising interest rate environment, and that's what we've been in since you know the end of 2021, the beginning of 2022. And so the preferred share ETFs have done not have not done good. They've done very poorly, but they're paying a 6.79% annual dividend at the end of what I think is the four part of a four part economic cycle, which is troughing, which is where I think we're at, due and ready for expansion. And if the Federal Reserve begins cutting interest rates, if we begin getting ourselves back on track after COVID, I think preferred shares are going to do really well, and I'm going to be getting paid for waiting. So those are the two big things, the two big allocation changes that we've made to our to the clients that we manage assets for. And explain with the, with the preferred shares, 
you're first in line. It's not quite as much risk as your common shares. I mean, how do you get, what's the best way that you get exposure? I mean, you could buy individual preferred stocks, but then there's also, I'm sure, an ETF that you're using as a vehicle. Sure. So I'm using uh, PGX, Paul George X-Ray, and PFF, Paul Frank Frank. Uh, These are two uh, exchange-traded funds that are highly liquid. One of them is the the PGX, Paul George X-Ray, is the Invesco Preferred Share ETF. And mind you, they're very similar in composition. They both hold uh, preferred shares in financial services company and in real estate. Um, let me put, I can put up a comparison right here between the two of them for you, Andy. And I think that that's interesting because, again, um, let's see, PGX is the Invesco Preferred Shared, and PFF is the um, uh, is the Invesco Preferred Share Fund. Now, let me just click on this one link, and I'll tell you the major differences between the two. The preferred, the Invesco Preferred uh, Exchange Traded Fund, PGX, has a 6.35% annual yield, where the iShares PFF has a 6.78% dividend stream. They both, their inception dates are roughly around the same time. Uh, the iShares was March of 2007. Invesco was in January of 2008. The expense ratio is pretty close to each other, the Invesco being 0.52% and the iShares being 0.46%. And, you know, they both are in, you know, they, they both have not performed well in the last one to three years. And I think uh, primarily that's due to the interest rate rally that we've seen. You know, interest rates going from 0 to 5%. Because, again, there's like a fixed bond dividend uh component inside these ETFs. So um, let me just bore you with a little bit more stuff that I love to look at. And that is the the Invesco preferred preferred ETF has a 70.27% allocation to financial services. And the iShares has a 74% allocation to financial services like banks, right? And the iShares has a, a 10% allocation to real estate, where the Invesco has a 17% position to real estate. So again, we're talking about these two companies pay a really great dividend, but they're invested in companies that honestly have done poorly for two reasons. One is, as you can look at the bank index, down 47% from its peak, still hasn't really it has bounced bounced back a little bit, and also interest rates near the end of a you know two-year tightening cycle. So I think there's a lot of things that um, the reason one of the reasons why I like it so much, Andy, honestly, is that it's just out of favor and it pays a great dividend and people are hungry for dividend strategies. And it's a part of our get a dividend check per month strategy that we offer our clients. So we talked we're both still bullish on the crypto trade and we talked about where that's going. I mentioned a couple of stocks that I like. I'm bullish about, uh, you know, with the market right now. You're seeing opportunities in emerging markets. We talked about vehicles that you can take with that. And then preferred shares here as we're wrapping up today's gains podcast. Um, real quick thoughts on gold and the metals with, uh, you know, the backdrop of some of the things that we've been talking about. As much as I want to be a a gold bug, I, I kind of went, went through this cycle Back in the 80s, after the 87 stock market crash, where I was a huge gold bug, and all I could see was the collapse of Western civilization, and I wanted to hold gold. 
in the 1990s, I realized that I was missing out on a lot of stock market activity when the market rallied, you know, from like 93 until 2000, practically nonstop. So I'm not a huge gold fan myself, um, but I do understand that, again, gold and silver are risk on. And we are currently in a risk on marketplace and gold has to perform a little bit better for me to like it. I mean, we're still not even above our 2010 and 2011 highs in GLD. Yeah. And, um, and, and so. one, one little sidebar there. And we've talked about this countless times. It's a, it's amazing how gold is really underperformed even at times when you thought that the market conditions were in place for it to really take off. So I, yeah. I do understand the hesitation there. Yeah. And it's tough for me because I want to like it. I, I want to, I want to like the asset class, but I have to be honest with you. I did a spreadsheet for a few of my clients that bought gold coins in physical form from a, uh, a nearby gold dealer. And when you throw their commission on top of the price of the gold coin that they paid for it, gold has to be not at $1,900 an ounce, but around 30000 3100 an ounce in order to break even based on the rate of inflation, you say 4% annually or 3% annually, and the commission that the numismatic dealer charges. So until that changes, I have to be slightly negative on gold. Again, but, gold but again, yeah, that you're talking that, bullion too. So that premium, where the bullion, one thing you can right. avoid some of that is through the, the GLD, but then yeah. you also miss out on not having the physical as well. So it does cut both ways, but yes, uh, you know, that money uh, for years, I've, I've looked at it and, and often that money sitting in gold, if it was deployed into growth stocks or some other areas of the market, you're actually leaving a lot of money on the table. So I, I definitely understand it. But for a short term, for me, it's GLD. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, I, I totally understand your, your hesitance there. So as we wrap up today's GAINS podcast, what's the takeaway, Bill? We've covered a, a, a variety of areas. And, um, but what's your takeaway from today's convo? Well, Andy, I think um, the truth is nobody – Nobody can read the crystal ball. Nobody knows exactly what's going on in the future. We have roadmaps. We have little signposts. We have little mile markers along the way that we follow. And we both follow interest rates. We both follow the U.S. dollar. We watch risk on versus risk off, Dow theory versus other supply and demand factors. And I think you and I both agree that we are in a risk on situation. I think we're at the end of a four-part economic cycle. And I think that the market is probably going to do really, really well, um, you know, into the next mid-year presidential election, you know, going forward. I'm, I'm very positive going forward. But at the same time, I have to say that we have some economic issues. We have a lot of debt here. The banking index still hasn't rebounded. We have, um, you know, a presidential election coming up in a year and a half or so, to, you know, and shortly. And that's going to add some volatility to the market. So I think there's going to be some awesome buying opportunities. We have to prepare to make money if we're right and if we're wrong. We need to have a plan B. And for me, plan B are preferred shares in emerging markets. The rest of the portfolio is all domestic uh, for our clients. And, hey, you know, there's a place for gold in all portfolios. Um, and, you know, what? and this is what makes a market. It's, it's, it's the belief system, two people like you and I coming together and talking about these kind of things. Yeah, and that's exactly what the market is. It's all the participants getting together and hashing out the final price on everything. Big <laughs> thanks to Bill Ulaveri, owner of Seneca Capital Management in Glenview. 
Uh, check out his website, cynicalcapital.com. That's C-E-N-A-C-L-E, capital.com. All right, that's going to wrap up this week's Gains Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Totally appreciate the solid there. As always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gains episode drops. We drop Gains episodes on Wednesday mornings. And I look forward to seeing you then. A News Radio WBBM podcast powered by Odyssey. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.